Let us pray. O Lord, to you alone belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The festival of the Holy Trinity is an opportunity to examine the doctrine we all believe, the truth into which we all were baptized of who God is. This is why today it's proper to confess the Athanasian Creed. It was big and long, wasn't it? Did you understand everything that it said? I must confess that I didn't understand everything it said either, and that's because of the truth of who God is. It's not something that we can grasp. It's not something that is possible for our minds to understand. And this is why we're reduced to stating paradoxes, like the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. In fact, we've learned how to talk about God, including in our Athanasian Creed, from Scripture itself, such as the Epistle lesson for today in which St. Paul speaks. Please rise, we read again, Romans eleven thirty-three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his advisor? Or who has first given to God that he will be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. What St. Paul teaches us about God is simply put that we cannot comprehend God. And therefore, two things happen. First, we observe his unsearchable deeds, and then we give him glory. One of the things that Trinity Sunday does is it gives us an opportunity to pause and look back. The church year, in fact, is split into two halves, the festival half and the non-festival half. Trinity Sunday stands right at the vertex between the two. The festival half began at Advent, continued through Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, then Holy Week with Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, climaxing then with Ascension and Pentecost before concluding with today, Trinity. The thematic thread running through the whole festival half of the church here is the life of Christ. Advent marks the expectation from when Christ is coming. Christmas commemorates his birth. Epiphany marks when he revealed himself as true man and true God to the world. In Lent, we trace Jesus' teaching and work in his humility and his suffering, which comes to a head in Holy Week, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem to die, instituted the meal of his holy body and blood, was betrayed, condemned, tortured, crucified, and died, and then rose again to to life on the third day. Forty days later, Jesus ascended into heaven, and ten days after that, he sent the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual birth to the Christian church. Now, you remember all that, and the church's observance and creativity over the year has been specifically designed so that you do remember all that, and that it's repeated in our creeds. Even the unbelieving world knows much of this, praise God, because Christians working tirelessly have had an influence even upon the calendar. The pattern of the year itself is a witness to the gospel, because what does the festival half all preach but Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God who came as a human being, revealed himself to the world, worked and taught and preached, and then rode into Jerusalem, fed his disciples his own body and blood, and provided that they could feed on that, that, that food their whole lives, died innocently to pay for the guilt of all mankind, rose from the dead to defeat death for us all, returns to heaven to lead the way where we would go, and sends his Holy Spirit to strengthen us until we get there. You know what? Whoever believes this is saved. The church here shows us God's ways, which St. Paul says are untraceable. In fact, try tracing any of these. How did God become man? How did a 100% flesh and blood human being perform miracles and preach with divine authority? How did God die? How did he rise to life again? How can that man be both in heaven and with us, especially and specifically in his supper with his body and blood? And how have they not run out yet? And how does the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwell in us sinners, coming to us in a thousands of years old book, in water, in bread and wine, Oh, you and I cannot answer these questions. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't claim to understand, but instead we proclaim with Paul how untraceable are his ways. The other and even more important aspect of this moving of God in the festival half of the church here is that other exclamation of Paul, how unsearchable are his judgments. Examine everything God did in history and examine the reason for it, that God sent Jesus, his righteous son, to die for the guilty, For you, examine yourself, your life, your actions, your words, your thoughts, and are you worth dying for? But while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who can search out these judgments? By his actions through Christ, God judged his son guilty, and he judged you sinners righteous. Does that make sense? Not to us. And therefore, Paul exclaims, and Christians for millennia have exclaimed, not in understanding, but in faith, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. God reveals glimpses in shadow through his judgments and his ways. Even in the church here, you see who God is. In that outline of the festival half, maybe you notice there are three major festivals, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, and that's the unbreakable threefold chord of Christian celebration. And historically, the church has understood these specifically. Christmas, the festival of Christ's coming into the world for us, has always been associated with God the Son, whose purpose it was to come and to save. Easter, the festival of his resurrection, has always been associated with God the Father, who by raising his son declared his sacrifice sufficient, and therefore the world's sins recompensed. And Pentecost, the birth festival of the church, has always been associated with God the Holy Spirit, who came to sanctify and to sustain and spread the gospel in the whole world until the church militant becomes the church triumphant. And these are the emphases. But it would be a mistake to say that the Father and the Holy Spirit aren't involved at Christmas, or that the Son and the Spirit have no part in the resurrection, or that the Father and the Son were preoccupied and didn't participate in Pentecost. Instead, this division is merely a tool for remembering the Trinity. Similarly, we often call the Father Creator, the Son Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit Sanctifier. But didn't the Son and the Spirit also create? 
Just examine Genesis 1 where we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in the first moments of creation. And John 1 where the Son called the Word is depicted. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And likewise, the entire Trinity is involved in redemption and the entire Trinity is involved in sanctification. So Paul speaks, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his advisor, or who has first given to God that he will be repaid? And the answer, of course, is no one. We can't know the mind of the Lord. We can't presume to advise him. We couldn't have claimed to have given him anything so that he would owe us anything. Instead, it's all the exact opposite. God knows our minds and what corrupt pits of sin they are. And God is our advisor and what naughty child kings we are. And God, who owed us nothing, gave us everything. Rather than claim that we have some insight into who God is and what God does for us, we closely must examine ourselves and instead acknowledge our lack of understanding and, like Paul, declare to him be the glory forever. I've heard a Christian say, if God can fit into my three and a half pound brain, that's not the God I want. In essence, that's the same sentiment that St. Paul expresses in this section of his letter to the Romans. Think about God. Think about who he is and what makes him who he is. Try this exercise out. Finish the sentence. God is like a three-leaf clover. The sun with its fiery body, the heat and the light. Water with liquid ice and vapor. All of these and others like them are attempts to get our minds to understand God, or at least to make our minds be quiet when it objects that it's impossible for something to simultaneously be three and one. And if one of these illustrations does help to quiet your mind before the glory of God, then that's great. But none of them can be held to dogmatically because all of them have some problem or other. And ultimately, all these problems boil down to this fact that God is not like anything. God is the creator of all things. He is far above them, far greater. We have all these ways to describe God, but none of them fully grasp or comprehend him. In fact, many of these descriptors sometimes do more harm than help. The best way to end the sentence, God is, is with a period. God himself taught this when he spoke to Moses through the burning bush. When Moses asked for God's name, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And because God said this, the name for God in the Hebrew Bible is Yahweh, which is translated, He is. In fact, that progression, God said, I am, we say, He is, that defines precisely how we can be surest in speaking about God. Now, undoubtedly, it's fun to theorize about God, to come up with illustrations and things, things that might be very helpful. But every time we come up with a thought from our own mind or the thinking of other men, we're certain to fall short. Instead, the words we use to describe God are God's own words, just as God said, I am, and we say, he is. Likewise, we declare of God what St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his advisor, or who has first given to God that he will be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And this is the perfectest way to praise God, because it confesses, I don't understand. I can't understand, but God is praiseworthy for who he is. And maybe you notice, too, that these praises of St. Paul are delineated in three trinities. Riches and wisdom and knowledge. 
who has known the mind, who has been his advisor, who has first given to God. From him and through him and to him are all things. Even in declaring that we cannot comprehend God, we declare simply what he has revealed about himself, without our own theories, our own ideas, simply the truth that God has taught us. We praise him only because he has revealed himself to us. We praise him because of his riches and wisdom and knowledge. And those things are too deep for us to comprehend, but he has shared these things with us. The riches of forgiveness, life, and salvation are given to us in Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God is given to us, foolish ones, in his word. The knowledge of God surpasses all human knowledge, and in it he knows us, and he loves us, thereby enabling us to know and love him. We praise him because while we do not know the mind of the Lord, he knows our minds, and he loves us anyway. We praise him because while we cannot advise God, he is our advisor, our comforter, and our helper, leading us in grace and good works. We praise him because we have not given God anything, and he owes us nothing, and yet he has given us everything. We praise God because everything has come from him, creation, salvation, and sanctification. We praise God because everything is sustained through him, the world, our faith, and our eternal home. We praise God because everything will conclude coming to him, the earth, our souls, and all praise. Again, this is something that God declares about himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty, eternal God deigns to save us sinful creatures. And so we, being given new life by him, can do nothing but praise him. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We come today to the end of the festival half of the church here, and therefore the foundation is laid for the non-festival half. And in that half, the church's life is the focus. Based on what God has accomplished for us in the festival half, because he has given the Spirit to give us rebirth, and that rebirth is in the name of the triune God. In the triune God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the church moves forward in the world with its mission to proclaim the salvation of Jesus Christ to all nations, to sustain one another in the faith until the end. We have been saved, but God still works in us to be sustained in that salvation and then to share that salvation. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. And behold, he is with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.